0: Draco Malfoy and the Heir of Slytherin by Star Brigid Part 2 of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Brigid Chapter 12 The Golden Rose Draco had thought there might be a thawing with the Gryffindors after their Polyjuice attempt at interrogation, if only out of shame on their part. But January saw them still keeping a cautious distance, although less so. Avoiding him was more difficult now that Hermione had become a hospital-bound cat. Draco had laughed himself sick the first time he heard what had happened with Milly's cat. It's not funny, Hermione kept insisting. Mr Wilberforth, you tried to turn into Mr Wilberforth. he gasped, grabbing at his stomach as it began to hurt from laughing too hard. He got severe looks from the trio. "'Millie thinks I'm trying to kill Mr Wilberforce.' From the looks on their faces, that fact had failed to make it any funnier. She was stuck in the hospital wing, which made everyone think the prominent muggle-born brainiac had become the next victim of the heir. Opinions that Draco was the heir waned at this supposition, as many did doubt Draco would have targeted his only friend. It almost convinced Draco's yearmates, before he admitted to them Hermione had just been put out of commission by a freak potions accident. Then they started calling him the heir again. There was a problem at first with people coming past to gawk, which Draco was well aware of given his stubborn insistence on daily visits. He found himself in Gryffindor company more often than in the months, simply by their visits often overlapping. Potter found it difficult for the first week or two to look him in the eye, though Draco had the smug feeling it had more to do with his brief sojourn in Draco's bed than suspicions about the air. Eventually, Draco got sick of people going past trying to stick their heads in and let it be known through the second-year Slytherins, just as those who spoke ill of Draco Malfoy's associates were liable to lose a working tongue those who looked imprudently on Draco Malfoy's associates were liable to lose working eyeballs. Draco looked up and practised the conjunctivitis curse to back it up, but just the warning worked nicely, and Ron managed to work himself up to thanking Draco for it. They still didn't speak to him much more than necessary to Hermione's annoyance, and she admitted to him privately that Ron and Harry still talked about him like he might be the heir of Slytherin when he wasn't around. Bound to the hospital wing, she was so accessible that Draco found himself dreading her release, as horrible a friend as that made him. But he forced a cheery expression when Hermione left the hospital wing, de-whiskered, tailless and fur-free at the beginning of February. Quidditch training ramped up in intensity as they approached the Ravenclaw-Slytherin match, coming up on the 20th. Flint had the meeting three times a week, which, combined with Draco stubbornly sticking to his weekend-night flights, had his body sore and exhausted half the time. He would have been stealing all kinds of potions to assist him, had Severus's storeroom still been open to him. As it was, he saved the second draft of peace he had received at Christmas, same as the other Slytherin boys, and hoped he wouldn't need to use it against Ravenclaw. Hermione took to sending him letters from the Owlery, as well as setting a brief meeting each week after potions for them to check in. He was pleased to see her still sporting her bracelet once her arm had gone furless enough to wear it. If the H for Hermione she had now attached made her think of H for air instead, she had the grace not to say it. The snow was beginning to melt around the grounds, along with a gradual melting in the strident pitch of terror that had used to follow Draco whenever he walked down the corridors. The mandrakes were maturing. Lockhart had declared the air scared off by his prowess, often loudly in Severus's exasperated hearing. And Hermione, of course, hadn't been a Christmas attack at all, just a cat. According to Draco's notebook, There wouldn't be any more attacks until May. That would have been comforting, except for the fact that it was Hermione, along with Penelope Clearwater, marked as the victim. But before Valentine's Day had even passed, it felt as if May might never come. He thought he might have nightmares about Hermione being petrified, but instead, many of his dreams were just a confusion of Christmas Day playing out over and over again. Potter's fingers on his birthmark, and the fireflies floating around Severus's tree, miles of green wrapping paper vanishing, and Potter's fingers against his lips. Any attempt to keep his mind off the romantic was derailed by the arrival of Valentine's Day. He'd written in the day's entry in his notebook, Potter gets hilarious love message from Weasel Girl, I almost steal his diary but he takes it from me but he had forgotten just how extravagant the holiday became this one day, from a pink-robed Lockhart's influence. Nor were the other Slytherins any more ready for the spectacle that awaited them at breakfast, with the gaudy pink flowers that covered the walls, and the heart-shaped confetti that threatened to mess up Draco's hair. You know, Draco said shakily, "'I promised Severus I wouldn't eat any meals in the kitchen with the elves again, "'but I think this qualifies as an emergency.' "'And then Severus's gaze came down to pierce him like an arrow from on high, "'a message that didn't need occlemency to communicate. "'If I have to suffer, my godson has to suffer too.' "'Draco took a seat at the Slytherin table.' and propped his chin up on a disgruntled hand, forced to watch Lockhart's showboating all over again. "'Happy Valentine's Day!' Lockhart shouted. "'And may I thank the forty-six people who have so far sent me cards, "'at least one of whom I suspect may have been a professor. "'Yes, I have taken the liberty of arranging this little surprise for you all, "'and it doesn't end here!' Lockhart clapped his hands, and through the doors to the entrance hall marched a dozen surly-looking dwarves, whose dignity Lockhart had severely offended by dressing them with golden wings and carrying harps. Draco hoped he was paying them enough for this. "'My friendly card-carrying Cupids, beamed Lockhart. "'They will be roving round the school today, delivering your valentines.' And the fun doesn't stop here. I'm sure my colleagues will want to enter into the spirit of the occasion. Why not ask Professor Snape to show you how to whip up a love potion? Draco knew to watch Severus at the high table this time, and he stored that utterly aghast look of nausea in his mental album for Severus, should the same fate ultimately come for him. And while you're at it... Professor Fickwicks knows more about entrancing enchantments than any wizard I have ever met, the sly old dog. Draco had been waylaid by a dwarf the first time around, with a valentine he pretended not to know was from Pansy. She had the dignity not to send him one this time around, though she couldn't help but send him a few moony stares over the course of the romantic day. Gay, he thought emphatically in her direction. Gay? Gay, gay, Pansy, what more is there to say? Draco enjoyed watching the exasperation of their teachers as the dwarves kept disrupting classes and regretted Valentine's Day hadn't fallen on the same day as Potions, for him to witness the carnage that must be Severus's battle against romance. But he did get to witness the highlight of the day, possibly of the year, aside from Severus's defeat of Lockhart. It was so anticipated, it had even gone down in his notebook, even though objectively it didn't seem that important to the course of the blue loop. Potter's very special valentine. Draco happened upon Potter with his bag broken, trying to gather up his supplies to flee. He was immediately recognisable, but Draco played it off as though he had happened upon this charming tableau by chance. What is it, Potter? What's going on? Draco asked in his most innocent voice. But the sight of him seemed to fill Potter with, if anything, more panic than Draco remembered. No, one, it's Draco. Draco can't see this, Potter babbled. Help! Staring first at his friends, and then at the waiting first years, girl Weasley at the front, as if any of them could save him from love. "'What's all this commotion?' said Prefect Weasley, and Draco smirked. "'Oh, look, Potter, it's Ron's brother, Peter. "'Maybe he'll know what's going on,' he drawled. "Percy," Peter protested. "'My name is Percy!' "'Potter seemed to take Peter's indignation at his best chance to flee the scene, "'but the dwarf seized him around the knees and brought him crashing to the floor.' Draco had to cover his mouth, so the laughter wouldn't bubble out too loud. He couldn't miss the poetry for the ages about to be unveiled. Right, said the dwarf, sitting on Harry's ankles.
1: Here is your singing valentine.
0: It had to have changed from last time. It couldn't have been this funny. Nothing in human history could ever have been this funny. His eyes are as green as a fresh pickled toad. His hair is as dark as a blackboard. I wish he was mine. He's really divine. The hero who conquered the Dark Lord. Draco didn't know what it was that made it so hilarious. Maybe it was the sublime absurdity of the slant rhyme of blackboard with Dark Lord. Maybe it was the undue reference to Toads. As if those poetic resources which produced the inventive genius of blackboard with Dark Lord had run out starkly when it came to expressing the greenness of Potter's eyes. Admittedly, those were something you would want to include on a valentine, to the blunderbuss currently cringing on the ground. Maybe, though, the funniest part was Potter's weak attempt to join in everyone else's laughter, despite him clearly wishing he could change his name and purchase a portkey to Guam. Or maybe it was just the sour look he was levelling at Draco as if he was the only one clutching his stomach, howling with laughter. Did you send this, Draco? Potter said warningly, only for Peter Weasley to flit between them, trying to make everyone go back to class.
1: Off you go, off you go, the bell rang five minutes ago, off to class now, and you, Malfoy.
0: Wait, Potter said, grabbing Draco's arm and shooting daggers with eyes as green as a fresh pickled toad. It was you, wasn't it? You were trying to embarrass me, weren't you? You're always doing this. Draco looked over, and saw Ginny Weasley watching wide-eyed, looking distressed to have what was obviously her, Valentine, go over so differently than she must have hoped. If your shy romantic gesture ended in your intended accusing it to be a plot by the heir of Slytherin, you knew something must have gotten lost in translation. Draco could have exposed her like last time. Maybe he should have. But the thought of alerting Potter to girl Weasley's worship and speeding along their true love made him suddenly less amused, and he did not want to make him think what Ron would think of him for it. Oh, for Salazar's sake, it wasn't me, Potter. Why would I be wasting a valentine on you when there's a creature as exquisite and perfect as Cedric Diggory out there, existing in the world. Potter's face just went redder and hotter. Cedric Diggory, you really still fancy? Peter tried to step between them. As a school prefect, I must warn against fighting in the corridors. But he might as well not have existed for all the notice Potter was taking. Hey Harry, come on, Ron said and with Hermione's help he managed to steer Potter into charms with him. Seriously, it wasn't me, Draco called after them, and Ron made a rude enough gesture to, at minimum, indicate some lingering suspicion. Draco already felt hard done by once dinner arrived, dirty looks coming his way not just from Potter, but virtually the entire Gryffindor table, Girl Weasley excluded. No, come on, girl, stand up and declare your love he thought sourly. He'll reciprocate it, eventually. So it was bad enough, everyone in eyesight either glaring at him or mocking him, for thinking he had sent Potter a joke valentine. And then every bit of bad karma built up over two timelines came crashing down on him.
1: Grego Malfoy,
0: a gruff, tired voice asked. Even if Draco had wanted to run, there wasn't time because this dwarf clearly just wanted to get this over with and clock out already. Maybe that was why he couldn't wait and deliver it somewhere less excruciatingly public. Attention, attention, the dwarf called, and people were soon giggling and shoving each other as a hush spread through the great hall. Theo! Draco whispered frantically, Theo, you've always been my favourite. If you ever used to be my friend, you will take out that noble wand and cast an unforgivable on that dwarf. But it was too late. The poor bugger had already burst into song, and Draco's had two verses. His hair is as pure a blonde as his blood. His eyes are as grey as an ink blot. People say he's cold, but none of them know. His love for the dark arts is so hot. If you speak ill of him, you might lose your tongue, but I wish he'd use that tongue on me. He's Slytherin's heir, but I really don't care. I wish he would petrify me. And the dwarf delivered that last line with a macabre little bow, tossing off his wings and grumbling as he trudged off muttering about not getting paid enough for this tripe. Draco expected laughter, but none of it came. Instead, a few stifled giggles turned into an easy hush. A student seemed to process the implications. Maybe there couldn't be amusement when a valentine also called him the petrifier of his fellow students. Faced with so much scrutiny, there was no remedy but to head this off at the source. "'Potter!' Draco snapped, standing up in his seat to glare over at the Gryffindor table, His hands cupped over his mouth and yelled, I didn't send you that, Valentine, you idiot. You didn't need to retaliate. Or was it you, Ron? Are you the one trying to ruin my life? A soft little shriek came from close to Draco's left. Draco didn't notice it properly until it was followed by a growing wail. I'm sorry, Draco. I thought you'd like it. Pansy Parkinson shrieked and ran out of the great hall in hysterics. Millie gave a dirty look in Draco's direction, before leading Daphne and Tracey to follow. Draco stared at them in baffled incomprehension. Someone tell that girl I'm gay, he bellowed across the great hall, and also not the heir of Slytherin. After such a declaration, There really was no help for it but to flee as well, though naturally in a different direction to Pansy. Draco took the steps up to the Owlery two at a time, hands shaking with rage, none the least at the way he would have to humble himself and apologise to Pansy if he wanted his entire year in Slytherin not to hate him. He threw the Malfoy stationery, custom hunter-green ink and quill, down on the wooden crate he always used to write there, and began to jot in rough, furious letters without any forethought. Dear Father, stop telling your friends I am the heir of Slytherin. You know I am not the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets, but I know you're telling people I am, so everyone I know in Slytherin thinks it's true, because their parents told them that you told them, and you didn't need to make the boys stay with me at Christmas. Maybe you wanted me to draw them closer, but guess what, father? If I wanted to win them over, I could do it on my own. But, as it stands, there is an irreparable divide between me and these prospective friends you must so want me to win back, because they are falsely convinced I am the heir of Slytherin. I have not lifted a hand to stop you in your plans for the school this year, and believe me, if I wanted to, I could have. But, if you do not leave my name out of your bragging, I will do far worse damage to my name than even you have already
1: done, when you started falsely telling people I am the heir of Slytherin, Draco Malfoy. The real kicker
0: came, though, when Theo tracked him down to the Owlery and told him he was to go see Severus at once. He didn't find Severus in his office or the potions classroom, and ended up checking his chambers, which Severus opened at once to his knock, looking apoplectic with rage.
1: Draco, he hissed, the A in Draco drawn out for syllables. Why don't you come in?
0: Draco had thought he was being summoned for the evening's misadventures, whether the supposed Valentine exchange with Potter or his unintentional public humiliation of Pansy. But the reason he had been summoned and summoned here became abundantly clear the minute he entered Severus's chambers. If someone had wanted to liven up their dark aspect, one could hardly deny their success. The sparse, dark stone rooms were filled to brimming with golden roses. Oh, Draco said with a smirk, i suppose you'll want my help cleaning these up unless you're in a romantic mood and want to enjoy them they do seem to be high-quality flora they remind me of the golden roses in the gardens at malfoy manor
1: do you think yourself amusing severus growled is this your punishment for all those who have spurned your friendship this year? First, some insipid rhyme for Potter, and now this private terrorism against your godfather.
0: He brushed aside Draco's attempts to claim it wasn't him with an impatient gesture.
1: I knew mean this a practical joke at once.
0: He brandished a note on fancy golden stationery, which seemed to have come with all the roses, and thrust it at Draco accusingly. It was printed in elaborate golden calligraphy, regular as if from a charm rather than a hand, which camouflaged the handwriting. Draco had a sneaking suspicion he would recognise it from a certain set of
1: blackboards
0: otherwise. Dearest Severus, I hope these roses have helped you brighten up your room as much as the tapestry I gave you for Christmas. You cannot know my sadness that I have not had the chance to visit and admire your newly lively decor, but I hope to have the opportunity soon. I hope for the chance to spend many nights in your rooms in the nights to come. The Dundons can grow cold, but I would be honoured to offer myself to warm you up. If you wish to know my identity, meet me at the astronomy tower at midnight. I will be waiting for you, all night, if I must. If you do not favour men, I understand. But please come to tell me yourself, lest you break my heart into too many pieces to ever repair. You are the most terrifying and beautiful person I have ever laid eyes upon. And however many may seek my affections, No one will ever, ever, ever do now for me. But you, with love, your secret
1: admirer. Did you think I would believe for one second that this note is genuine? Severus seethed. What? Do you not fancy
0: men? Mother always told me she thought you were bisexual. It had been Aunt Bella to say so, actually. But attributing it it to mother was a harmless lie.
1: Yes, I am, Severus said through gritted teeth. Not that I would invite you to take me as some nauseating queer role model or any such nonsense. Nor does that mean I would lose all my senses for the illusion of some foolish man taking a shine to the potions master so you're not
0: going to meet your secret admirer tonight. He might be sad. Severus was looking more and more inclined to disobey the dictates of filial piety and cast unforgivables on his godson.
1: I have no secret admirer. No one is pining away for love of me. I am certainly intelligent enough to know. But Severus? Now silence! Severus barked. You will not speak another word until there is not a single rose petal left in my chambers.
0: Draco raised a hand as if in class, and with a frustrated sigh, Severus called on him. Should I start vanishing them, sir?
1: Of course not, Severus said crisply. These roses may be of you and you may yet learn something from your folly. You will assist me in processing them for use as a potion's ingredient.
0: Draco assisted, and allowed Severus to persist in his belief that it had only been a practical joke, if perhaps not by his godson. But if Severus didn't notice how incredibly glum Lockhart looked at the staff table the next day, and how many times he kept yawning, well... Some people were just bound and determined not to see what was right before their eyes. Poor Lockhart. It almost made Draco sorry to know he was soon to have his mind wiped and become a useless vegetable. Almost. There had been the small incident of him liquefying all of Draco's bones. It only took a day for Father's letter to come back. It had been a day worth of groveling to the other Slytherins, insisting to Pansy he had genuinely thought it was from Potter, and had not just wanted to embarrass her. He also had to put up with the snidest little remarks from Severus when he made the mistake of going to complain to him about it in his office, as if Severus would have any sympathy about unwanted admirers, after what he thought Draco had put him through.
1: "'It's only natural, Draco,'
0: Severus said, without bothering to try and hide his smirk,
1: for a talented young wizard such as yourself to attract feminine interest.
0: And then there was Potter's answer to the charmed note he sent to him in the great hall at breakfast, to Draco's perfectly reasonable short missive of ''It wasn't me who sent that valentine. I'm sorry I thought you sent mine.'' he received a far more angrily written note flown back which bore the words I know it was you, you evil dragon, and a poorly drawn sketch of a dark-haired boy with glasses Mm. strangling a silver dragon with his bare hands. Draco could put up with a few more false accusations this year, however unjust, if he was to be the scapegoat for everything in this castle now, from petrifications to unwanted romantic gestures, so be it but he feared a worse reaction from the Gryffindors once father's reply arrived. Dear Draco, As charming as your most recent letter was, I fear you are labouring under a puerile misconception. You are in no danger of being investigated or formally charged as the master of the Chamber of Secrets. Suspicion will soon shift from you to a different recipient, at least in the eyes of the authorities but the doubt will remain in those families closest to us whether you were the heir all along, and this will gain you a respect from your fellow Slytherins you will otherwise be sorely lacking, given your ignominious career at Hogwarts before the chamber opened. It is unsurprising a child would be too short-sighted to understand this, but you must learn to trust my judgment. You know the legends of the Chamber of Secrets, of its origin and purpose, and these are correct to rid Hogwarts of those unworthy of the hallowed halls once walked by our ancestor Salazar Slytherin. You have been taught at school that there is no chamber, that it does not really exist, and of course that is a lie, though for many centuries it did lie dormant. The chamber has been opened before, the first time was fifty years ago, long before my time at Hogwarts, so you need hold no suspicion of me. The student who released the monster was a lover of such creatures, even in the giant spider he unleashed. In time, the spider attacked several students, finally killing one. The person who opened the chamber was caught by another student and was expelled. But the headmaster, Professor Dippet, ashamed that such a thing had happened at Hogwarts, forbade anyone to tell the story. A true story was given out, that the girl had died in a freakish accident. But the monster lived on, and the expelled student remains at Hogwarts to this day as its groundkeeper. The man who calls you Little Dragon may be some associate of yours, Draco, but you cannot save him from the fate that awaits. He is guilty, and justice will come for him, leaving you unscathed. Burn this letter after you read it. Trust your father, and above all, speak to no one of this. Lucius Abraxas Malfoy that's preposterous, Hermione exclaimed, throwing down the letter. Hagrid could never have done something like this. I mean, is it? Ron asked to everyone's surprise. Hagrid always has um you know, a bit too much of a liking for monsters, you know. He had Norbert at Hogwarts. How could we forget Norbert's darling mummy? Draco sniped and felt worse at the stricken look on Potter's face. Hagrid would never do something like that on purpose. Potter said, but that was different from how Hermione had said it. I suppose there was also Fluffy, Hermione said, wincing at the memory of the three-headed guard dog. He always said how harmless he was, but if you didn't know how to approach him, and it's not like we can just assume Lucius Malfoy is taking the truth. Yeah, why are we taking this at face value anyway? Potter interrupted. "'sitting up from the bench of the empty Quidditch stands with a start. "'I mean, for all we know, Draco's father could have written this "'knowing Draco would show us some definitive proof "'that his son isn't the heir, so we'd... "'Oh, yes, Potter,' Draco drawled, "'you've unveiled my father's cunning plot to clear my name "'by shifting blame onto the first suspect you lot would readily believe. "'Hagrid!' ''Yeah, Harry,'' Ron groaned. Draco would have come up with a better lie. It seemed even Ron might be reaching a point of fatigue with Harry's Malfoy accusations, perhaps in part because of how transparently fueled it was by suspicion of Draco's Valentine-related activities. ''Boys, it doesn't even have to be a lie from Draco's father for Hagrid to be innocent. Had Master Dippet might have gotten the wrong person.'' Maybe it was some other monster attacking people. How many monsters do you think this place can hold? Ron asked Dully. My first thought was that the monster was a basilisk, Draco cut in, trying to at least subtly plant the idea. But When I told Severus he just laughed it off and dismissed the idea. A basilisk? Hermione asked, with a spark of interest in her eyes but Potter was shifting too rapidly between moods for it to take hold. We always knew Hagrid had been expelled, said Potter miserably, and the attacks must have stopped after Hagrid was kicked out, otherwise he wouldn't have stayed expelled with his wand broken, would he? He could have been being framed, Draco offered, and wilted under Potter's stare. What? "'That's exactly the sort of suggestion I wouldn't bring to your attention "'if I was trying to frame him.' "'Or maybe,' Potter said slowly. "'You're saying that because you know we'll think that and—' "'Knock it off!' Ron snapped, and then said more tentatively. "'You met Hagrid down Alley, didn't you?' Draco nodded. "'He was buying a flesh-eating slog repellent,' said Potter quickly. "'Speaking from my experience of potions, Masters Potter,' Draco sighed, "'you don't exactly have to go to Nocturne Alley just to buy that.' That put all the Gryffindors into a gloomy silence. After a long pause, Hermione said in a hesitant voice, "'Do you think we should go and ask Hagrid about it?'
1: "'That'd be a cheerful
0: visit,' said Ron. "'Hello, Hagrid. Tell us, have you been setting anything mad and hairy loose in the castle lately?' Draco's father is coming after him. We should warn him, Potter protested. You mean, if he really is guilty, Hermione said. He's not in any danger, unless he's got something to hide. You are all so sweet, Draco groaned, giving them his patented Severus-inspired ten-second eye roll. As if the world works that way. And of course, he knew from experience that Hagrid would be suspected and kicked out. It eventually cleared, so it all should add up to Hagrid being innocent. Except Severus had destroyed the diary, and a close watch of Ginny Weasley had showed no suspicious activity whatsoever, save an excessive infatuation with Potter. So what if Hagrid had been guilty before, and this time it wasn't a basilisk but a spider, and somehow Hagrid really was? You think it's him, don't you? Hermione said, giving Draco a troubled look. "'I know you'd all rather think it was me,' Draco sighed, "'sagging back against the stands with a bleak look out at the February sunlight. "'But I don't know what's going on. "'Honestly, I would suspect that the diary was involved. "'It was a dark object that entered the castle. "'I'd think it could still be that if it was anyone but Severus telling me it had been destroyed.' Because an object like that could possess someone, anyone—me, you, them, even Hagrid, Ginny Weasley—who was given it? Do you want the truth? Yes, it was my father's. All right, I saw it in a case at the manor once, and I saw him putting it in Gal Weasley's cauldron in Diagon Alley. But I wasn't sure until I saw it in the common room, and then I panicked. None of them bothered to feign surprise. Draco, Hermione said, you should have just told us. I don't get why you didn't. My father, Ron said. His father. He thought my father would go after his for it. But Draco, if your father is the kind of man to target a first year. I don't Draco bit his lip. I know But I thought if there was a way I could fix this without ruining my family. It's not just my father I'm thinking of. It's my mother. And she's not a bad mother. She doesn't deserve what would come to her if father went down. Draco, Hermione said, touching his hand to quiet him. It's done. Thank you for telling us, even if it's late. But if you really are sure the diary is gone, then we have to start looking at what else could be causing this. And the letter from your father, depending on how much of it we can believe, might be the place to start. Thank you for showing it to us, Potter said, reserved, still cautious. I won't keep anything from you any more, Draco said. Not even Hermione looked like she believed him, and of course it wasn't true either. But if his tongue had let him, maybe it would have been. Scytherin played Ravenclaw on a bright, sunny day. The Malfoy Invincible sign made its return, although it was Vince and not Pansy helping Millie hold it up. Draco tried valiantly not to scan the stands for Potter, failed, and spent more time staring in his direction than the Ravenclaw Seekers before the match started. Better than at the Ravenclaw section, where Luna Lovegood probably awaited him. Blissfully ignorant, she still made him jump out of his skin, not just at the sight of her, but even the sight of her hair, almost as bright as his, which even made catching sight of his own reflection unawares a very fraught pursuit. But his vision worked perfectly well on the Quidditch pitch. He had won the match the first time around, just barely beating the Ravenclaw seeker to the snitch, with a speed he'd had to admit in his heart was entirely due to his superior broom. But it was easier this time around, not because of any sizeable improvement on his part, but because he remembered where the snitch had gone the first time, and that didn't change. The absence of the rogue bludger in the Gryffindor game, oddly enough, had been a disadvantage for Draco, in that it had prevented that kind of anticipation. As it was, Draco caught the snitch almost before the Ravenclaw saw him begin his dive, having camouflaged his movement towards the Hufflepuff stand in a larger general sweep of the perimeter. It was easy to be impressive when just retracing his steps. What was different was the presence of Potter, who hadn't even bothered to come to Slytherin Ravenclaw the first time, an absence that had irritated Draco to no end. He'd probably been helping Hermione with research last time, but now he was the only one of the trio to make an appearance. He was seated in that shadowy spot near the wall in a Hufflepuff section of all places, like he was abashed at having attended and didn't want to be seen. Draco couldn't have missed him even before the snitch flew right down into Potter's vicinity. There had been better moments in his life than watching Potter throw himself out of the way, as Draco swooped in and wrapped that golden bird right in his palm, while all of Slytherin screamed his name, but it was hard to think of them at the moment. He pushed his hand with the bird in it triumphantly in the direction of Potter where he had fallen, splayed over the benches, blinking, stunned with his glasses askew. A rather hollow jester, given how when they had actually gone up against each other, Potter had been the one to come out on top. But he still couldn't resist showing off, hopping off his broom and standing between the benches to smirk down at him with his precious cargo still in hand. "'I didn't give you that awful valentine, Potter,' Draco drawled. "'Really?' But if you wanted, I could give you the snitch. He had no idea what nonsense he was spouting, perhaps being caught in the ears of disgruntled pups filing out. But it made Potter stare at him and turn red, so he didn't stop. He grinned and turned the snitch in his hand, pressing a kiss to the side of the glittering bird, and couldn't help showboating however much he knew Potter hated it. Short-term versus long-term results he knew. He tried to remember, but Potter's attention was too addictive. On an impulse, Draco raised his wand to the snitch and concentrated. Its material wasn't that different from ones he had transfigured for jewellery before. There were enchantments woven into the very fibres of it, but protections of that sort never seemed to do much against the talon wand. He remembered the display Lockhart had made for Severus and the gardens at the manor. Then with an ease he smugly exaggerated. He transfigured the snitch into a long-stemmed golden rose, each individual petal delicate and distinct. Nah, if you're so convinced you got a valentine from me. Happy Valentine's Day, Potter. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Heir of Slytherin. Part 2 of the Mirror of Isidiru series by Star Bridget